Sound of a Town with Shosh and McCann. Hello and welcome along to another edition of Sound of a Town with me, Shosh and McCann. And this week I am delighted to be joined by Mr. Joey Edwards. I have a couple of things written down. Mm-hmm. Manager, is that the right? Is that the right term you'd use for your participation in Just Mustard? Sound engineer. Yeah, but well, both of those things. Yeah, I guess Just Mustard. I have an old relationship with them in many ways. So, I guess I am friends with them from you know different things around town, gigs in the store, underage gigs in the bowling alley, stuff like that. Way back when, when like Noonan and Rob, um, they were known Noonan and Rob first, I guess, from playing in bands and. I would have got to know Mete later, and then uh, I got to know Katie through her brother Rory because uh, she was a little bit younger. Um, and then I produced their first EP um, in my in my home uh, in Knockbridge, my home place. I have a little studio set up there where I was. I cut, cut my teeth recording bands, and um, yeah, and after I think around that time uh, I started doing front of house for them, so doing live sound for them. Um, started doing you know gigs here and there and in Dock and in Dublin and stuff. I remember doing a, doing a night with them in Whelan's, um, the up, upstairs in Whelan's night. And, um, you know, they were probably getting 50 quid for it or something. And I just remember doing doing the show and thinking it was great. John Bradley, uh, was uh, he was driving them, driving the gear, and I was I was in the van with him. And I just got out of it, uh, you know, I think probably, probably whatever money they'd made, they'd probably handed it over to myself, and, you know, just to, for, for doing sound and for help hacking and, and doing uh, driving and stuff. And just kind of saying to Sean, it's like this band is too good to to be left in the dust here. And I was feeling really frustrated with so many bands and so many brilliant musicians I know from here just not getting their dues really. And I was just fe- feeling really frustrated by it. And and you know because I didn't really know how to get into it. I didn't know how to. Uh, I didn't know anything about you know managing a band or apart from being in bands and managing that little aspect of it. But Said to, I said to Sean, I said, maybe I'll consider, maybe I'll say to them, maybe that they, I could help them, try to help them manage the band. And that's kind of how that started. Um, so are you then kind of a manager, but it's it, it was never exactly spoken or was it spoken? No, it was spoken at some stage. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, I guess we kind of figured out the details of how it worked. It's a, it's a, it still is a very collaborative thing. Yeah. I mean, um, I... I I try to handle. I, I nowadays I, I'm I'm quite lucky in the sense that I I have a co-manager on Just Mustard, a lady called Molly O'Brien. She's uh, she's based in London, so we co-manage the band. But we co-manage the band with the band, in my opinion, because they are their band. It's always been their band, and I've always I've always maintained that that's that's the most important thing. Like what they say goes because they it's their vision. It's their it's their their baby, you know. Yeah. So we're we're facilitating and helping with that, right? So so that's the just mustard aspect mm-hmm. uh, aspect of what you do. Mm-hmm. So, so on the uh, on the other many uh, things you have going on, there's Pizza Pizza Records. Yeah, yeah. Pizza Pizza Records started roughly around the same time I started managing Just Mustard. Um, 
started we started it in 2018 um january 2018 we had a launch show in the spirit store um basically like a fundraiser because our whole thing was it was it's was myself and myself and shane Byrne and um connell mcintyre um and it all is just mustard and shane clark from elephant Aoife, uh Aoife ward and larry with myself and david um, we all started um, Pizza Pizza Records together, essentially, um, as, a, as a collective and a co- cooperative thing. Basically, the whole, like I said, the whole thing being feeling frustrated that we can't do anything outside of Dundalk. Even trying to get to Dublin is a stretch. So the whole idea being, this is a birds of a feather, uh, all ships rise, rise together situation. So that was how that started. And it has been going for over five years now and it's been growing and growing and you know, the first record we put out was Just Mustard's Wednesday, and it's seems to be doing quite well. Good, yeah, it was a good one to start with. <laughs> good one to start with, yeah. And, and then your other, the other string to your bow is that you're actually a musician yourself. Yeah. Is Larry still an ongoing thing, or? Oh yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Like, I mean, um, I mean, I'm primarily a musician, I guess. I've, I've been playing guitar for over twenty years now, and I, mean, I, I pick up the guitar every day. I write songs every day. Um, Larry's still very much important thing in my head less so than um from, from a career perspective as a it is a, i would go mad if i didn't do it yeah um, it's, your, it's, it's my expression uh, it's your, i was just going to say that's a way to get your own stuff out there yeah it's just it's a you know even as a songwriter i suppose my my way of writing is isn't really pen and paper and it or, or and figuring it out it's very much pick up the guitar and something jumps out of me in the guitar hit record on the phone and I start singing and kind of writing in a subconscious way, and that's usually eighty or ninety percent of what the lyrics will be in a Larry song. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, and I guess um, it's it's still it's, it's it's we we don't do it as often as we like, but we we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna record a new record soon. I feel like it's it's just sitting there on the edge of. Is it written? Oh, it's written. Jesus, yeah. there's there's songs. <laughs> Jesus, enough enough songs anyway. <laughs> I mean, uh, we we haven't we haven't had the chance to meet up, but like you know, myself and well, myself and Eva live together, so it's handy for you know, handy to be able to bounce ideas off her and um, you know myself and Noonan travel together all the time. So and then things. there was a is there any other bands or anything still on the go? I remember we the oceanographers. And yeah, I think that's the first time I ever seen you. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, so you used to do a, a kind of a yearly residence in classified records. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Christmas show. Yeah, yeah, well, With the Christmas jumpers or not? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We the oceanographers is a. I mean, never ended in a, in, a, in a formal way. Myself and Connell and Sean. You know, we've that, we actually met recently, and and we said we talked about it, just saying how we should really do something. We actually recorded we recorded a song in Canada in two thousand and seventeen with a. A fairly legendary um, Canadian producer by the name of David Newfeld, who did a lot of super furry animals, broken social scene bands like that, and uh, Connell actually recorded the Heritage Center album with him as well. So that was the connection. But we actually never released it. So right. we ac- we're actually sitting on gold because it's a it's a hit. <laughs> it's an absolute hit. It's a really cool. Song. Change everything. Yeah, yeah. Really. I, I, Take it know. in a different road. <laughs> Could be doing that for 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 a living again, you know. So, so right, okay. So, well, let's let's go right back then. Let's. Where, where's home? I am from Knockbridge, proud, proudly from Knockbridge. Yeah, so it's still home. Still home. Some yeah. people move around, and then you you wonder 
Whereas the home house is that still like if you, yeah. if, if you talk about home, it's the home house. It's not bridge. Still the home house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the the home house in in the city centre in Opperidge, uh, <laughs> still still home, uh, still play Harlem in Opperidge, playing, oh, Harlem, yeah, yeah. playing a Harlem match tonight actually against Minna. So that's that's rough stuff. You never worry about breaking a finger or anything like that. I, I actually I played up until minor with Opperidge, and I was starting to really, I guess, find my feet as a guitar player, and I got a bit spooked one night, and that's how I ended up stopping playing Harlem. But it was actually during the lockdown. Uh, of all people, it was the two Johnnies on. On the Tommy Tiernan show, talking about them talking about uh, training underage teams and playing hurling, and they just kind of had the attitude of, "Sure, if I get a broken hand, I get a broken hand, I get on with it." And I just thought, "You're dead right." So I kind of got back into it and said, "You know what? I'm going to do this again." So I mean, that's just been a third third season back at it. Oh, good man! First, first, first time playing senior when I was about thirty, which is mad. So <laughs> <laughs> very senior. <laughs> and then at home, when did you start with the music? Like, was there always that was? Anybody yeah. in the house a musician or? Well, um, my mother and father are huge music fans. Um, you know, uh, the Holy Trinity being Springsteen, Dylan and Young. Um, in Going our to Springsteen house. tomorrow. Going to Springsteen tomorrow. <laughs> I'm dating this podcast and I'll be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so like my, my, my mom and dad, uh, massive music fans and, you know, that had a huge impact on us. Like, so you, who did you say the third one was? Springsteen, Dylan and? Neil Young. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So that yeah, like that, that stuff has been firmly firmly embedded in me um joy division firmly embedded in me from a young age um my my, my mom is brilliant for but she still is brilliant for discovering new music and you know she would introduce me to ryan adams who's a huge impact on me as a musician and songwriter and then you know my, my dad um he'd have a he'd be a he'd, he'd love going to see bands and uh and you know he'd, he'd pull out a couple of just classics that i would never heard of even even still he pulls out he pulls out lyrics I just and I don't I don't know them from anywhere and then you have to have to do a little bit of deep dive so like yeah music is totally in the fabric of our house it, it always was but no musicians my, my mother had a guitar and played a played a couple of tunes and you know played a couple of a couple of chords on the guitar and she's a lovely singer um my grandfather's a great singer um he was the he was the absolute showman of the house he he was he was a class singer did a lot of like um, like trad stuff like Shano's type stuff or? no like um like a lot more um. Harry Como kind of kind of style, like he had that deep, deep uh, uh, bass voice and vibrato. And so, um, what age did you then pick up a guitar? Was a guitar first? Guitar first, yeah. yeah. So I I got a guitar, I think uh, for Christmas or my birthday when I was ten or eleven um, from Comiskey's on on. Uh, I remember it well. Sadly, on, not on, there on anymore. Rasa Street. Yeah, yeah. Were you, were you, were you, were you, a very strange shop. A very strange shop. One side you could buy all the stuff you need for a newborn baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to be mothers coming in, just brand newborn babies, uh, you know, a couple of weeks old, looking for stuff. And on the left hand side of the shop, there's some guy smashing the life yeah. out of a drum kit. <laughs> I'd say I'd say it was as well, as well as many lads coming in and, and selling a uh, like a Fender amp or something, and be like, "Here, can you give me can you give me a pram for that?" <laughs> The dream is over. <laughs> yeah, like setting the motorbike for a, f- a five-seater or a seven-seater. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's the amp has to go now and they need a pram or a high chair. Yeah. That uh, was a great job, though. Yeah. class. Yeah. Your mum's a laugh, too. You go in and be like, here, can I have a look at that guitar? And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I've definitely heard this story from other people where he navigate you over to the keyboards and we're there showing you, see this, you can get all these sounds in the keyboard. You're going like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck about a keyboard. Like, I mean, <laughs> organs and that. It's like, I don't 
hair. That's, that's mass music. Is it? Give me a, give me that guitar that's got Bob Marley's face on it. <laughs> <laughs> was it a, an instant thing when the guitar, or was it one of those where you did it for a while, you stopped, then went back to it? And oh, uh, I mean, I I am to say it. I'm a slow learner would be a huge understatement. I, I am an incredibly <laughs> slow learner. So I, I was taught guitar by Jack McCauley. Um, oh, right. Here yeah, in the dog. Um, you know, obviously famous. Jack's so famous for his, his incredible yeah, yeah. playing and his, his years with, you know, with, with them and Van Morrison and, yeah. and, his, and poor mouth himself. So like Jack was just like, you know, a, the, an absolute demon back in the day on the guitar. So um, he taught me, but I remember so many times how frustrated he would get. Like, I remember at one stage of saying, listen, I brought you to the edge of the forest. You just need to figure out your own way from here. Because he, he had, he'd showed me how to, I mean, umpteen times how to play something, how to play scales, and it just wouldn't click. So there's a long time, like, I'd say it was a good four or five years before I actually felt like I could handle myself in the guitar. But um, Four or five years isn't too bad. I don't know. I mean, I, I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix straight away. So right, yeah, yeah. It was an incredible, uh, incredibly <laughs> strenuous relationship with the guitar for a long time. But I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I stuck with it, I guess, um, all in all. And it, but it wasn't until I started playing bands that's when it really kicked in. Well, that was my next question. Then, how did that come about? When was the first kind of group session or live performance? You know, I don't necessarily mean at a yeah. big gig or something, but I mean like where you actually played with other people yeah, and in well, front of other people. I, I played the the Spirit Store. Actually, it was probably my first gig. Um, right, um, not a bad place. Yeah, it was actually with Jack organized. It was like his, his students. He had like a Christmas concert for all the all the guitar players. So I probably played with a bunch of people, and it was my first time in the Spirit Store. I was probably about thirteen or something Sunday afternoon. But it's um, been a long and uh, <laughs> long long, long relationship, relationship since then. Yeah, yeah. D- Derek Turner still uh, still blow my mind with mics. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then uh, when I was in school, uh, there was like a talent competition thing um, in the De La Salle um, called Class Act. And I, I got through to it to perform. I performed on my own. I sang and played guitar. I think I played a Neil Young song. Right, very um, good. I played Hey, Hey, My, My, if my mind serves me. And uh, But then I, I, I got playing with a bunch of lads in Knockbridge then. A very, a very, um, a very Knockbridge lineup. We had uh, Frank McGinney on lead vocals. Uh, I find her back in the day and then all of the Keens we had Declan Keen his brother Ronan Keen and cousin from next door Michael Keen right <laughs> Declan on lead guitar uh, Ronan on drums Funny and Michael affair, on bass thing. yeah and then I was down the road so it was, so it was cool we started off doing that and you know, I played with those lads for a few years and, and we you know we had a good laugh uh, cutting our teeth um, you know playing Nirvana covers and, and yeah, yeah and Le- Guns and Roses and you know we, we were whatever Vertigo's set list was at the time I imagine we were trying to emulate it <laughs> and when the, the song writing then when did you feel that that was did you think you had to be competent enough at some stage or did um, did something just kind of click one day and you said I need to put this down I don't know I, I, I can remember writing my first song um, I don't know what age I was maybe 14 or 15 Um yeah, I I got this like you know really basic one euro mic or something in a charity in a charity shop or a euro shop or something uh, and plugged it whatever computer we had figured out how to get that going got some sort of pirated software Sony Sony something I forget what it was uh, my friend Neil gave me and uh, I started yeah actually I, I was I had the, there was a tape deck in the house too and I I used to plug the thing in and and bounce like a guitar and vocal or whatever onto it and then try bounce drums on to then bounce lead guitar onto it and try and cr- crush it completely so it was kind of like kind of got into you know songwriting and recording roughly around the same time I guess or getting interested in it at least 
I don't know. I guess I, I, I guess all of like all of the songwriters I was listening to at that time, like, like Springsteen, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, very much of that kind of thing. So like I was I was there trying to learn everything at once. Too. I was trying to learn the guitar, lead guitar, piano, drums, bass. I was trying to do it all and being very bad at it, <laughs> being bad at all of them at once. Trying to be Prince. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, it took a long time. I feel like to find my own. I guess my own sense of a voice or my own perspective as a songwriter. Of so what was the first then original band that you were in? And were, were it predominantly your songs or was there a group? So the first original band I was in was with my sister, Sarah, um, and the band was called Take the Money and Run. Right. Um, and we're like, we would have, uh, yeah, it was a bunch of us, um, uh, different people, uh, Danny Megan, Neil, Neil Dooley, Sarah, John Murray, and then uh, later on, Joe Furlong, um, who's, who's now like been Joe's a Joe's a very successful session musician in his own right now too. Plays with James Vincent McMorrow and tra- travel all over the world playing bass. So it's and then Dan- Danny actually was a was a session player himself for a while. So I mean they they were but, but in that band uh, it was Sarah and Neil who were the principal songwriters. And then and then Joe and Danny did as well. Like Sean Murray left the band fairly early on, but everyone was kind of writing songs, and it was actually a really nice environment in that way that everyone was trying but we even was writing songs together if, if i wasn't writing melodies or the lyrics or singing i was i was writing guitar or I was, or I was writing bass parts or whatever i was doing in the band at the time so it was it was kind of cool to be able to feel like you're able to hone in on one particular instrument and then and then take it from there and then even with that band later on i started writing songs for that band and towards the end of that band and that was uh yeah i kind of felt like i kind of cl- clicked at that stage of i knew kind of songs I wanted to write and what kind of style I would approach writing songs with, I suppose. And then you kind of had a feel for, okay, this is, you know, I, I can imagine some people write loads of songs and they never see outside their bedroom, you know, they stay in yeah. a notepad. But when you get up on stage and you perform one of your own tracks or one that you've co-written, even if it's just, you know, a harmony part or a melody part on. Yeah, like, I mean, it's 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 so infectious, you know, um, so addictive uh, performing and, and writing. I mean, I, I was literally doing it today. You know, I was doing it yesterday, doing it the day before that. You yeah. know, it, it's 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 an, it's totally addictive. And uh, performing, you know, that's that comes and goes, I guess, for me, um, whether, whether I have time for it these days or not. But um, it's all it's always like, uh, you know, there's always a moment I feel that you're like, I can't wait to play this. I can't wait to hit this note or do this part live it could be it could be a half an hour set or an hour set or whatever but there's there's 30 seconds there in your head you're going this is why i'm here <laughs> i always feel like that every, and it could be different every time but and do you have any of them moments like from early on do you have any of them you can remember where you went yeah that that, that was great yeah i remember in take the money and run um with a song called superstructure that neil wrote and i wrote this uh guitar part um johnny marr in a uh, Johnny Marr uh, stolen part in right. some sort of way but uh, you know I, I remember I remember writing that and playing and just it dreaming about playing it like in the spirit store and just, or on stage just because it's like this is this is going to blow minds <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blow people's minds with this one <laughs> so you did then at some stage yeah. so do you remember when you got to play it first yeah I did I remember I remember playing it like um, oh, we played we played the spirit store a lot and we played like Whelan's and places like that like in Cypress Avenue and stuff um, with that band, so like we got playing that a lot, and yeah, it was like it was always a always a moment. There, there were so many great moments in that band, actually. Like I, it's one of it's a really I've really fond memories of it. Yeah. Especially myself and Sarah, we're, we're like we're like Irish twins. She's just over a year older than me, so like we're very close and very similar 
very similar music and uh, tastes and very similar people in a lot of ways. So it was it was just cool even just playing in a band with her and constantly talking about it and constantly just digging at it and, and trying and just you're just you're just mining constantly mining for or whatever it is there, there must be a fairly good relationship because a lot of as you say Irish twins yeah yeah can't stand around <laughs> be around each other you know yeah. well Sarah lives in London now and she's moving to America soon so I don't know how close we are <laughs> she's trying to get away can't from wait me. to get away yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's almost there he's almost yeah, everywhere yeah. he's there wrecking my head <laughs> <laughs> no Sarah's a, Sarah's a great musician herself and a great songwriter in her own right so it's uh, it, it was actually just nice to be able to you know bounce off each other you know you, you kind of have that, um, there's a certain drive. I don't know whether it's even necessarily, you know, competitive, but it's uh, it certainly makes you go, fuck, I need to keep up here. You know, I need to, I need to keep sharpening my skills. I need to keep moving here. Oh, I, right. I, I, yeah, feel that with, I feel that with everyone I'm around, though. Any creative people, like I'm constantly inspired by everyone I, I, I work with in whatever way, because they're always doing interesting things. And it makes me go, why am I not doing that? Or... I'd love to be doing something like that. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you, maybe it's even subconscious sometimes. Was there other acts then when you were around then at the start that you felt, okay, yeah, look what these guys are doing? Or was there more established acts, uh, particularly around town, that you were watching and going, yeah, yeah, they kind of, we need to be, we need to be up in our yeah, game here. Oh, time. wow, look what these guys are doing. Well, um, off the top of my head, uh, you had The Flaws, uh, you know, they're, you know, a band who were just ultimately successful, um, especially at that time, uh, they were, they were doing great stuff, they had a record deal, and they were putting out albums and packing out venues. Sanskrit from Carrot Cross, um, they were they were in a very similar way, you know, made this brilliant album. You see all this brilliant press they were getting and accolades and these great shows. And you know, it was we were very lucky to get doing shows with those folks. Um, then there was people probably more of an, in our situation, I would say, is band the Blind Pilots um, from from around that era. Um, you'd have had even around then like the Fontanelles. Um, you know all these amazing players. Uh, you know I fight Gandhi around that time. You know you, there's there's a lot of folks. Uh, and then yeah, Heritage Center. Um, that's where I first met Connell. I just was blown away by Heritage Center. I just thought that was just the coolest band. Their songs were untouchably good. Um, there were so many musical references that influences in that band that I just never heard before. And you know as I got to know Connell better, uh, they they started they started to uncover themselves. And you start seeing the Easter eggs here and there within his songwriting. Those were the kind of the folks that really kind of helped stir it along at that point. And was there then? So a lot of that would have been when you're still at school. Yeah, I was. I was pretty young at that. So sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. So did time. you have then that kind of drive to kind of make this your career, or was it just kind of well, we'll see what happens. It's kind of a hobby. Yeah, you know when you're when you're. They're asking you, you know, yeah. you're doing your leaving and they're saying, what are you going to do with your life type of thing? Well, yeah. Was was there a party going, well, actually, I want to, I want 
I, yeah. being a musician or I want to be involved in the industry. Definitely. I, I, I was hell-bent on becoming a sound engineer, music producer from yeah. like about, about 14. You, you said you went to the Della, did you? Yeah, I went to the right. Della. So like, I remember going into Mr. O'Boyle in Careers Guidance saying I want to be a, be a sound engineer and he pulled out some dusty book <laughs> saying like, right, here's what you need to be a sound engineer. And no harm to him, but it wasn't exactly the best advice. Like, you need to do physics and maths and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, maybe music would be handy, actually. So, you know, maybe studying yeah. music would be helpful in that regard, as opposed to studying physics and maths, things that I'm not really great at. But, but then that's another string to your bow that you did go on. You are a sound engineer. I am, yeah. But not for not for meds, doing, studying it or any of the rest of it, though. I, I, I studied, I did, I did a degree in music in the end. Um, did you do it in... DKIT? No, I did it in, in I did it in Maynooth. Um, oh, I right. actually I actually wanted to do music technology. Uh, there was a, there was the only course at the time was in that I knew of anyway was in Maynooth. So um, I went to do that. Didn't get it, and then did music, which I think worked out well because I I ended up then just teaching myself how to record. Um, got a bit of gear. I got a mic or two, and I got a audio interface, and I learned how to use Pro Tools and. Um, all that stuff and I just learned and you know constantly be talking to people so have you never done a, a sound engineering kind of course no no I didn't really no never um, Derek Turner was brilliant to me Darren Clark um, took me out on my first gigs he took me he was doing sound for Declan O'Rourke at the time took me in we did uh, shows in like Galway and Picker Street and place and then I'd be in the store all the time and Derek would just pull me aside uh, while doing a show and go Hear that there? Hear the, hear that gate I have on the snare under? It's great. It gives you a bit of crack. All these little little nuggets of info. I just be picking up off people. But you know, Derek and Darren were like really really helpful me from the get go. And then I bluffed my way into being a sound engineer. Yeah, I have to say I'm very surprised at that. Now I I thought you were going to tell me you had all these qualifications. No, no, no. Um, and it's 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 bullshit anyway. You know, qualifications are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a uh, yeah, well. Well, I I can say that it, there's a couple of times. And very recently, where I was at the last Just Mustard gig, where oh, yeah. I was watching you as much as I was watching the band. Yeah. The, the last gig, I was actually standing right behind you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you realised, but there was, we were on the stage. Uh, or the oh, yeah. raised area uh, at the yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. And, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, well, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but like your hands were shaking for most of it. You must have felt like you were as much involved in that performance. Yeah. Not to take away from, obviously, what the guys were doing on stage, but because of what you were trying to achieve then. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, that I, night. I was like uh, at the start, especially. I was trembling. I, I I don't think I was. I don't think I've ever been nervous, uh, not in years anyway. But I was nervous that night because this was, in a lot of ways, my idea. This that three sixty show uh, of doing it, and I didn't really know entirely how we were going to do it whenever right. we went for it. But I had a fair. I had a good. I had a good idea, and we all worked together on doing it. But there was aspects of it that were we were we were literally going for it on the night and. It was a suck it and see. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, And I was watching you, and I was like, people could fly a spaceship with less controls than you were moving. Yeah. I I didn't exactly make it easy for myself either on that night. But I mean, yeah, there's a certain, there's a great quote I heard in the last couple of years from, there's a great book I read called The Mixer Man Diaries that that really got me into um, wanting to be a music producer and sound engineer and all that stuff. And, it's it's about a diary of this guy in LA um, recording a band and all the pitfalls and the disasters and also some really nice insights. But yeah. the guy, um, the guy, um, I, there was a podcast or something I was listening to him on um, at one stage, and he said, "Mixing is neither a technical nor a linear process, but an artistic process." And I I I, I heard that and it really spoke to me because it's like, yeah, this is 
this is all it's all feel it's all it's all texture about making it work so just like a painter would be trying to add that kind of layer of texture to a painting to to give depth to produce emotion out of people that's kind of what i see feel my job as a the mixer for say just mustard i'm trying to take the what they're doing and i'm trying to to force it in it, not not in i'm trying to take what they're doing and amplify it literally and figuratively you're trying to project it out onto I'm, the crowd I'm, yeah and i'm trying to yeah. project our um, emotive aspects of what yeah. they're doing to the crowd to try and help deliver the message what they're trying to get across this then so when you go with them on their tour just to stick to just mustard on the, mm. the the sound engineer thing for a minute when you go with them on their tour because i know there's one recently in in america even but even yeah. even here mm-hmm. like i was in oh it's one of my favorite venues can't think of them the grand social oh yeah one time your gig and you're on the desk yeah so when you go into a place and you say yeah i'm going to be the sound engineer mm-hmm. does somebody ask you like for your bona fides type of thing like do you ever get someone go well, we've got a a desk up there that's worth 20 or 30 grand we're not going to let some guy just walk in yeah obviously now Just Mustard have created a name for themselves so I think their bona fides are there but you know earlier on there must have been times when you went and people went no no yeah. you're not I, I, well I remember I was doing sound for I used to do sound for Third Smoke as well uh, oh brilliant that was, that was probably my first I guess professional touring sound engineer gig um, and I was with them for years and I loved it Um and I remember the first gig was in the Grand Social, actually. Right. And I forget, great venue. Great I venue, venue. Yeah. yeah. And I, I forget who it was now back then. The, there's a guy there, the house engineer, his name's Joey as well. Lovely guy. And I remember getting up to the desk and being very nervous because I had to dial in monitors. I had to, I had to you know, understand how the, the desk worked, first of all. I was watching tutorials online or going up there to do yeah, it. Yeah, because it's, I'm assuming most venues don't have the same desk, that there's it, not a They standard. vary. I mean, there's, 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 there's a number of them that get used in different places, especially now. Like, I've, I've probably been on 90% of them, 95% of them at this stage. But, you know, from, the, from, from going in, I, I was bluffing, essentially, you know, going, I can probably do this. And the people there were very kind. And, you know, there was a bit of a baptism of fire of getting into it. And by the end of the gig, I was doing the things I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to you know, say push, push reverb onto Hughes voice or something and shape that a certain way. And you just, I just kept taking away little bits, little bits. And the likes of Hughes is a perfect uh, person to be in that situation with, because as much as we, we were trying to achieve something together, like I, I, I produced a lot of their stuff uh, back then too. They're, they're one of the greatest live bands I've ever oh, seen. Yeah. It's particularly towards the end, which God, I, it was a real shame yeah. when they, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's it's tough to have that many people uh, moving at the same time. It's it, Bands are hard. They played in the second year of Fantastic was in Drogheda in the Firestone stage. I remember, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable gig. Just phenomenal gig. One of the best gigs I've ever seen. And then a couple of months later, they played the Soundhouse on Eden Key. And I remember, it, yeah. It was just brilliant. Yeah. Because they'd been going... 
Third Smoke were going quite a while. Well, Third Smoke are probably one of those bands I, I left out earlier because yeah. they, they were coming up around the same time as Take the Money and Run. Maybe we would have been at it a little bit longer, I guess, than by the time they got kind of going. But then very much, I guess, became a, a notable band uh, from the area. I mean, they did some great stuff. Even they were they were they, they had a really great relationship with Ham Sandwich. They were touring with them a lot. Uh, they were on the Brendan O'Connor show that Saturday night in, on RTE. That was a big moment for them. Yeah, I remember you that. Know, but the, were they on the Late Late as well at one stage? I don't think they were on the Late Late. I, think I that, remember them the, being the, on TV the, playing was, a song. Yeah, they oh. played that, the song Miss Summer Breeze yes, on TV. that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, was, I was there helping them out with that. And, you know, the, uh, great moments like that. You know, yeah. all, all of these things are all so, so important. It I really guess. felt like they'd really honed in their sound. Their sound had got a lot bigger yeah. by the end. And then, unfortunately... They decided the corner. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, like, you know, if if they, you know, obviously bands uh, call it a day for their own, all their own reasons, yeah. but musically they had no, they did everything in front of them, and you know they still do as as musicians and songwriters. They. So, so getting back to then the, the sound engineering so do you think now that that's kind of I don't want to say perfected but that you, you've honed you've, you've earned your stripes um, yeah I mean to, to a degree I, I guess I have there's, there's it's not that there's not, nothing I can't there's nothing I can learn still there certainly is and there's always things I'm trying to incrementally improve upon very specific things that nobody maybe other than me notice yeah. but I mean it, it, but it's important I mean at the end of the day Technology it's going to be is changing constantly, constantly yeah. changing, adapting. So I, I constantly have to keep adapting with it. It's even why, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a number of reasons why we even approach this 360 show with just mustard, and part of it is to, is to show, to, to highlight the power of them as a live band, and that was just, a, I guess, a creative way to express that and to, to do it together. That's some, that's something maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll continue doing. Maybe we'll vary or do something different can with. I ask you then a question that's probably not going to be too easy to answer but uh, the, the feeling that you get as a musician on stage as comparison to the guy in the sound booth working some of the buttons watching the audience's reaction mm. to the band that you are looking directly at what's what's the difference is is that maybe that's too difficult to answer no it's not I, mean, I it's actually not that difficult to answer it's very similar for me I consider myself when I'm mixing I am performing yeah. I'm performing on this desk and that is if I don't perform well it's going to have an impact on how the audience receives it so I, I take I take it very seriously um, probably more seriously than some people but I'm, I'm very I'm very dedicated to it as a as a as a as an engineer and, and um, as a mixer uh, but it's, it's the same with like as a guitar player uh, or as a singer I'm constantly trying to improve upon my connection with those instruments and my connection with those songs and and to, to be able to try and express that in the best way possible for people to take it in because at the end of the day mu- music's all about connection it's connection connecting with each other all of these things all of these emotions and all of these things that just lying around and bursting around they're, they're all i think they're so precious and they happen at such like such quick moments and quick successions that they become just 
overwhel- overwhelmingly magical things at times. You go to a show and you're blown away. Yeah. You're walking away and you're, and you're just on cloud nine. And, you know, that to me is, is the reason for doing it and, and, you know, from a performing perspective. So when it comes to being on stage or being at the sound booth, most of the time it, it's the same for me. I, I'm, I'm, I, tr- I, try, I tr- try to be into the same headspace at least. Right. <laughs> I, try, I, try, I try to treat them as the same. So then can we talk then, we take a parallel step then and talk about Pizza Pizza Records yeah, and how that came about and more so why that came about. Mm. And if you even just a little bit further before you go on to the formation of it, what did you feel was missing in the industry um, as, a, as a group of recording artists, Bob and Rand and Doc mm-hmm. at the time that you felt we're going to have to start our own label here? Yeah, well, there, there was a couple of things, I guess. Um, so Shane Byrne was a huge driving part of it. Um, he, like like a lot of us, uh, like obsessed with vinyl records, um, collecting vinyl and and spinning vinyl. So we all wanted to be able to do that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could, if like we had done dog bands, be able to put out vinyl that you could buy and play and stuff. That was just a bit of a pipe dream at the start. And then I guess uh, the thing that I I think I guess. I empathize most with is uh, the fact that if the frustration as a musician and as a recording artist and a songwriter and all these things and not feeling like you're being taken seriously and not feeling like you're going anywhere. Um, and, it, it, you know, and, that, and it, what I mean by that is it felt like everything at the time was just revolved around Dublin and Dublin bands, especially in Ireland. And, you know, and it, it just, it just felt, it felt like we're being, we're being, uh, I don't know, disrespected here, or we're not being taken seriously. You know that was that was a that's a common that was a common thread I think amongst most artists in the area. Or was it like there's a club and you're not invited type of thing? Is that the way you felt, or I, was I, it more? Or, yeah, I keep having to knock all these doors. It and, just felt like we had to. Yeah, kind of sick of knocking doors. Kick sick of knocking doors and kicking down doors. Yeah, yeah. it's like let's maybe do something different. Try to do that together. With people, I guess it was people with with specifically similar minds and interests to do it. You know, there's 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 an aspect of fe- feeling like we we kind of all, we're all on the same page what we wanted to try and achieve. Yeah, and that, that was the kind of the key reason for it. Um, I just heard a thing today, just kind of it's it's the same, but slightly different. You were talking there about wouldn't it be great to put out the stuff on on vinyl, right? And I think the quote was there's something like three hundred times more music being released at the moment than there was in say 30 years ago because back then you were pretty much reliant on a record label signing you now everybody's can get like a usb mic set up or a home set up record and put it up on spotify or title or whatever but does it do you get how do you not get lost in the noise is what you know mm-hmm. the question i'm asking mirrors you, you guys were saying well wouldn't it be great to have it on vinyl where it's out there and it's not just a computer file or another stream on the internet. Is there a point where the the amount of stuff, and I think it's great because you can find all kinds of new music. You can also find a whole load of rubbish. Mm-hmm. Has it gone too far? Is it tipping the edge? Because most bands now are putting their stuff out on vinyl in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. You guys were kind of pre that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know that there's certain that the vinyl resurgence has been coming for a long time, and it's really still it's still going. It's it's not there yet. I mean, it's the first time this year that vinyl sales have of beaded CD sales. Yeah, that's a huge metric when you think about it in terms of <laughs> number one, the fact that 
vinyl is more expensive to produce or difficult to produce. And also because of the pandemic for the last couple of years, taking a hell of a lot longer to produce than CDs. So the fact that that is happening in a physical but, but format. Just on a wee sub note and not just to play it down too much, because obviously I have a, a, not a sizable, but a nice record collection in the house. I have a huge CD collection, but mm-hmm. it, is it not like what CDs sold, say, in that stat I think you said was from 2022, mm-hmm. what CDs stole, sold in 2022 compared to what they sold in, say, 1992 oh, is, is fractional. Fractional, totally. Yeah. And, but it's even it's even vinyl is fractional compared to that. Oh, yeah. Physical yeah. sales are have never been lower because, as, as, you, as you mentioned with digital, there are 100,000 new songs a day added to Spotify. So if I lift my phone now and I type in someone, I can get nearly any artist from any, any artist. stage in the world. And it's, so, it's, it's I mean, it, this is the thing with, with the, the digital streaming platforms. You know, you have certain people who have gone against them. You've got, off the top of my head, uh, the big one being Neil Young, uh, pulling his music from Spotify for, for various reasons. Um, but it's... It, I guess there's, the reason is irrelevant to a degree. It's the fact that at the end of the day, he wasn't getting really, he wasn't really getting paid for what he was doing. Um, at least when you have some sort of control over f- selling a physical artifact of your work, you're able to see a direct financial return on yeah. it. And that is important. That's important not only for your wallet, but it's important for your, for your I don't know, your self-esteem and your your validity in what you're doing. Yeah. You see that and you go, People actually want this, as opposed to you can look at you can look at uh, numbers and metrics and these things with digital streaming. They don't really mean anything. They, you know, if someone comes up and shakes your hand at the end of a gig and says, "That was fantastic. Can I have your record, please?" And there's an, there's yeah. twenty five or thirty pound into your hand. That's an amazing feeling. Like that that cannot be reproduced. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it's mad. Like if um you know there's tracks just mustard have that are exceed a million plays on Spotify. Kind of, you kind of you know that's that is that's quite amazing but it's also like it's it's also i don't know quite i feel quite indifferent to that as well yeah. as i think the lads do to a degree too it's not the certainly not the be all and end all you know so getting back then to the pizza pizza thing you said there that shane Byrne was an avid uh, vinyl collector and you were thinking this would be great but i'm sure you know, there must have been times you went, oh, is this worth the, is this worth the hassle? You know, is it not just easier just to, you know, spend an hour and upload this to all the different streaming sites and well, put it up and put links on our Facebook and mm-hmm. our Twitter and all, and then that's it done, as opposed to... Well, I guess we, we, we do all of that as well. Yeah. You know, um, the thing about it is, it's, I think the thing, the thing about a record label that's important and the thing, like... Like, I've been... I, I run the label. Um, yeah. I've been running the label since it started, more or less. Um I, I am I have a deep interest in record label culture. I was hugely huge fan of Factory Records, Manchester, um you know, huge fan of Creation Records, um uh, in Scotland and you know, the independent independent labels in general. I still I you know, even working in the business now, I, I deal with a lot of people in independent labels and I, I, I'm fascinated by the cultures within those companies that they're trying to create, why they sign certain artists why they try to develop them in specific ways, even within the branding and the color schemes and the typography that they use, the imagery and the sonic, sonic style that a lot of the bands kind of come together on a label. It, it, it forms the, the collective, collective voice of it. And I feel Pizza Pizza Records, the thing we were trying to voice was the Dundalk sound to a degree. Yeah. What we felt was this is, the, this is the thing in Dundalk that we want to be able to push forward. And 
you know. So, so the record label is as much about um, you know putting stuff out in vinyl and uh, you know having a label and having your own creativity. Is it as much about that as it is about creating a community? Uh, hugely, yeah, yeah, hugely. And and, and the, the the funny thing about it is, it started off as I guess a a small group of friends from Dundalk trying to get noticed in within Ireland. And now we feel now we're probably one of the one of the voice. I feel like we're a voice that's listened to in in the Irish music community and has some sort of respect because of the work that we put in and the, the consistent effort we do put in for for our artists and to try and make sure that they are supported and helped with what they do. And it's it's I guess it's it's stopped stopped becoming a like a a Dundalk thing to a degree, and it's more of a moment. I guess it's an Irish thing. We've we've artists from Belfast. Do you want you know, want to rattle off some of the artists that you've you've yeah. worked with? Um, so yeah, I mean, most recently we signed the Lame Alone from Cork, the Altered Hours also from Cork, uh, Careerist from Belfast, um, Elephant, you know, from Dundalk, um, from Fermanagh. Yeah, new Elephant record. I'm I'm working on it with Shane at the moment. Um, Looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, it's coming together really nicely. Is too. it new track f- out on Friday f- actually? I see. Had it up. There's a single coming that was quite different than kind of what he did before. The new yeah. one. They know the last one. Youth. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's got the he got the orchestra in for this one. So that's a, that is a change. <laughs> I heard it being played on Radio Nova one Sunday evening. There's yeah. a show called Oh, uh, oh what's going on? His name's McGinnis. Oh, anyway. Yes, I know I the show. Thinking, you're about, I can't yeah. think of the name now. It come to me. Um, but I remember thinking that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and this is the thing. I mean. Shane wouldn't mind me even saying it. Shane doesn't give a fuck about all the glitz and glamour of of the music business. Shane Shane Clark likes making records, and yeah. he makes fucking good records too. So, for me, it's about encouraging him. With from, like, from, the, from the label perspective, it's about encouraging him. ask you something then um so okay we'll, we'll just run through it quickly so obviously just mustard were, were the big hit you've elephant who i'm a huge fan of as you know you've yourselves larry you've, you've some of those other artists you've talked about there um from around the country yeah trick mist uh, down in cork yeah he's originally from here is there because it's a real frustration for me ireland as a radio country as a radio industry do you feel, as someone who's running a record label and promoting all these, that you're being let down? By national radio, yes. yes. By regional radio, never. <laughs> <laughs> never, never, ever. Dundalk FM, for instance, is, uh, is the never heard, never heard of them, yeah. Some some cowboy does a, an hour on a, on, a thir- uh, on a Thursday at four o'clock. Wouldn't listen two, to that. Two hours, yeah. actually. <laughs> I don't know how he gets yeah. rid of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, you know, it's 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 amazing. Even, like, you know, I get, I get radio reports from are like radio pluggers for different things and it is always so nice to see say like Dundalk FM yeah. artists that we're working with being played on different occasions and it's the same with you know different uh, stations around the country you know like Radio Nova you got like John Barker there uh, who was previously at 98 FM yeah, yeah. his own thing now um, you know um, you've got 
but but if Red you FM. look at the big oh the big ones like 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 two of two of them the big commercial stations they, they uh, you and, know. and and I have to say now here before we we're not dissing anybody but uh, f- me personally radio RT Radio One are the best in the world for playing new music yeah but there's no and they're very talky during the day anyway so they're not if you're going on what they call the um, you know the main times the prime time times which are seven to seven basically mm-hmm. you're not hearing it. Well, I mean, you've got... You're really not hearing it at all. There's a... there's I think there's a culture, I suppose, um, within that company that doesn't doesn't try to invest people's interest in it. However, you do have people like Dan Hegarty, um, who, who's been consistently championing, championing bands for years. You know, uh, Paul McLoon as well, when he was on Today FM. Brilliant show. You know, yeah. he's, he's... But again, he's gone now. And, he's gone now, and, yeah. And there's not really that vibe on that big station. And they have a big network of stations. It's been a long time since guitar bands uh, essentially were played on the radio, you know. It's, but it doesn't... It's not... It's not even that it, they're not playing guitar bands. It's... If I tune into five different stations there during the day, I'm going to hear the same yeah. type of song. Not even the same type of songs. The same songs. And, and, the and very little of, of it is Irish. Very, very little of it is Irish. Well, even if it is, the majority of the time... It, you're you're talking major label stars, yeah, and there's nothing against them either. Listen, everyone's got a place. And yeah, at the end no, of the I day, think somebody like Demi Kennedy's brilliant. You know what I mean? They, I'm a big fan. But at the end of the day, they're they're on they're with uh, they're with labels that are like major labels. They have major major money and major in, infrastructural bills. But even if you talk about somebody like Fontaine's DC or mm-hmm. Queens, like if they get played on the radio from seven to seven, it might be once. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So if you're say Larry or Elephant or whatever like how do you get that must be so frustrating as someone running a, a label but say put your pizza pizza hat yeah, on yeah. that must be so frustrating I mean or the, is it just a thing where you go well that's the way it is and we just forget about it and we have to concentrate on the the, the John Barkers and the local stations yeah, I mean, and honestly, the that's, eight radios and the stuff like that like um, we we have people who do it I don't have to do it anymore thank god right I hate doing it all that plugging but uh, the people do it for us and they're brilliant at it but they've do a lot of work to kind of maintain those relationships with the with with uh, certain stations, I guess, to to make, you know to trust what they're getting, I guess. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I imagine for I imagine it's overwhelming being in the situation as a music producer on a radio show. The amount of music you you must oh, be sent, like it must be en- enormous. So like they are, they are under resourced um, for that for that in fairness to them. So they're, they're, and then they're also being they're, there's people above them who are constantly being told, about that, what being told we yeah. need to have a certain level of listenership. We've seen that fell below this point, so you need to give us this, give us this, yeah. and also there's no there's no doubt that uh, like money talks. You know, yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah, there's there's, uh, there's going to be people there with relationships with major huge major label stars, and they've got these long lasting relationships which they're going to want to maintain as well because they're they're helping. They help to support financially support some of these stations. Yeah. So you know, for, so from my perspective, it, yeah, acceptance is really kind of what, where I kind of fall in it, and I, I find it frustrating. But at the end of the day, it's a different it's a different world for it. You know, streaming is uh, is king now, and yeah. it's, so it's it's nearly like you have to focus your energy. I, on, I always find it. Str- I find that. it strange. I do find it strange when you look at some of the festivals happening around the the country over the summer, and so many brilliant Irish bands. I always find it weird that no one trying to hone on that into, and there was one for a little while in Dublin called TF TF XM, I think mm. TXFM. Um, it was Phoenix before that, where they tried to play all these independents, 
It's like if all these guys are buying these tickets to these festivals every year, what are they listening to? Are they yeah. just not listening to the radio anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to know. Um, well, this, is, this is the thing. When I get into the car, the first thing, I always have Dundalk FM on because <laughs> Dundalk FM's great. It's it's, as, it's that easy, though. Like, I wouldn't listen to Today, today FM. I wouldn't listen to Pat Kenny Moaning. I wouldn't listen to RTE. I'm listening to Dundalk FM because, number one, it's gas. The yeah. lads on the radio in Dundalk are, are class. The ads are class as well. You know, um, I can quote a number of them off the top of my head. Terry Kelly. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terry Kelly's ads are absolute gold. They just warm your heart. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that is community radio. Actually, there's like myself mad into music, working music and all. I'm going straight to Dundalk FM every time I get into the car. I'm not, I'm not sticking on Spotify. I'm going to Dundalk FM. And that's as the God's honest truth. Yeah, you wouldn't know what you're going to hear. You don't know what you're going to yeah, hear. Yeah, it's yeah, great. It's like, mad, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, all the DJs have their own uh, style it's as well. It's class. And, but it's, it's, it's like, I think even uh, I talk to mo- most folks I know, uh, like musicians especially, everyone's the same. We all <laughs> listen to Dundalk FM. And I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a, a, a that's a demographic there that should be uh, respected too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. If, you, if they, if, if, if even if there was, if, if they're able to bottle that and, and in terms of going to try to get financial support or otherwise from a, from whoever, just to be able to say that this is, this is a real reason why things are good around here is because the community radio is actually working. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And I think it's like if, if, uh, if those big stations were able to see that maybe, maybe they'd actually go, yeah, maybe it doesn't have to be so black and white. Maybe it's actually a lot of things. But there's to personal grow. relationships there as well, isn't there? Like, we're like, just take, for example, uh, obviously, I know you guys and a lot of local heads around, mm. and Damien McKenna is doing the first yeah. cut and all that stuff. Yeah, Damien's but, show's great. Like, oh, yeah. yeah it's been going this years as well. But even outside of that, like, I went to see a group there in the store the other week called First Class and Coach, and they were oh, yeah, absolutely course, amazing. Yeah. They're actually supporting the frames in one of our big Dublin gigs now. Great. And they stayed in the store that night and we had a, cu- a couple of drinks and talking about the album, talking about different influences and all. And so when I played them on the radio, I just put it up on Twitter and playing first class and coach. And like they really, you know, they engage and they mm. really appreciate it. And you kind of build up these, not relationships, but yeah, we're relationships. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Where I don't know, that in my opinion doesn't seem to exist at the big commercial end of it. Yeah, it, it seems, it seems, uh, it seems to me as if it's, uh, it's, there's an element of uh, it's performative, yeah, you know, as opposed to actually authentic, yeah, which is uh, which is sad. But you know, sometimes things need to be shit before they get better, yeah. And yeah. maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know, but oh. but but so then the pizza pizza thing that's obviously going from strength to strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's I mean it, you know it's weird how it goes. Like I never. I, I I never thought I'd be a music manager. I know that much. Yeah. I did always want to be involved in a label. That was like from from my from being in bands and stuff from a young age. I I always there was always something there quite appealing to me um, about a label. It just seemed yeah label label culture just seemed cool to me. Um, I, 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 there's bands that are with certain labels for years and years and and you know just have great track records. And I think it's it's you know it's something nice. I, like you know. Label, like labels like uh, like Rough Trade and um, labels like you know that, that Just Monster on a like Partisan, you know, like these these labels are they've they've built something incredibly interesting, and a lot of the time when you talk to the people involved, they're very interesting people as well. Yeah. So and it's because their 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 heart is 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 really in what they're doing. So I don't know. I guess it's it's uh, I, I kind of knew going into it personally that my heart was in it. So and it still is. So um, it, it seems it, it, whenever you're working at something, uh, and 
and you're enjoying it, it doesn't really feel like work a lot of the time. There's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about before we finish up because um, I really enjoyed this chat now and I'd let you talk to Alfred. Yeah, thanks just, for having me. Um, just jumping back into Just Mustard for a little while. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to ask you about. Okay. The Cure gig. Yeah. Because uh, I remember talking to um, Katie and David one time. I think it was that time in Knocking and Stocking and I they were oh, just yeah. about to do it. That was and lovely, I said, yeah. uh, you're playing with The Cure and I think you were the man who got the phone call. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite amazing. Uh, so, was that in Malahide or was, was it, uh, it Malahide? That was it? Malahide Castle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, it was a big, big venue. Big venue. It was. Yeah. Um, you know, none of us had ever done anything like that before. Yeah. Like, it was nuts. We were, we were actually, we were down in, we were down in, in Dingle doing other voices, and I got, and we were staying in this, uh, like, we were doing the music trail. And it was great crack. We did a couple of great shows there, and. Um, we were lying in these like bunk beds in this little dorm thing and above a pub and um no not a not without a pot to piss in kind of thing we were had a few pints and we were just glad to be there and then yeah. this email comes in from from uh from mcd who uh who had never heard a word from either and you know never got hadn't really gotten much recognition at this stage and going like hey how's it going do you fancy playing with the cure and it's like yeah, that's mad. What's <laughs> <laughs> like? What do you think there? Like when you get the, was there any part you thought this is a scam? Somebody's winding me up here. Or? No, like I, I mean, this is the thing. I, I've always had, like, always had huge faith in Just Mustard, and and that I think they're just like, like a, they're just like a, a killer band. So yeah. I, I was kind of like, yep, yeah, not surprised. Uh, I mean, it, you know, there, there, was, there was like a running joke, like Noon would have had just like, you know, different things. Me and Noon have tend to run jokes with these things, but. Um, it was like you know me like you can manage the band if you get us if you get us signed by a big record label. I was like okay, no worries. So I got the, we got signed to a bigger record label. I was like there we go. So apparently you can manage your band, that grand. So then this came in. It's like see, it's all you know. This was before all that happened. So I was like see, everything's everything's coming. Everything's coming up roses. Everything's coming up roses. I told you that was an amazing. Yeah, that was an amazing thing to happen. But the, as you yeah. say, like that was kind of your first interaction with MCD. Yeah. So, yeah. The, like, it's nice, you know, you didn't get asked to play a, a smaller venue or do some kind of festival slot. Or it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be harder to find, it'd be hard to find a bigger one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So you just get yeah. thrown in like this is here. Yeah. You know, like we're do the, you have any idea where that came from or how that came about? I know exactly how it happened. So there was a fella uh, who, was, who was our rep at MCD at the time called Jack Price. And Jack's moved on. He works in, works in football and I think he's a football agent or something. Now. Right. Lovely chap. And he basically loved the band and there was a, essentially a long, and he was a very junior guy at MCD at the time. And there was essentially a list of people you could, they were, they, Robert Smith himself, Matt, who manages himself still. Yeah. Uh, you get, you get, you get an email from Robert Smith and everything will be in capitals. Um, and uh, so he basically sent, I, I want an opening band, a local opening band from Ireland. Can you send me some music? He will listen to everything. So he literally listened to everyone and went, I want Just Mustard. So you were handpicked. Handpicked. You were handpicked by, Ro- by, by Robert Smith. Rob- by Robert himself. So. That's fantastic. Going forward, will you keep 
been uh, performing yourself? Will you keep songwriting, performing? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I, I performing. I was just talking to Eve about it the other day, and you know, as, as far as Larry goes, I really, I, I really want to nurture it a bit more in the studio and do more of that. And when it comes to performing with Larry, I want to be a lot more, a lot more specific and a lot more maybe even picky with it uh, than maybe even we have been in the past. And we do it. And we're going to do it very intentionally and really, really stick the back into it. So. I'm looking forward to that. It feels, it feels, it feels right. It feels like a very optimistic. I feel very optimistic about it at the moment. Um, really look forward to seeing that. Then. Yeah, actually, I really like that style that you just had going on there as the as the three piece. Yeah. Um, and then obviously with just mustard, it, we that could go anywhere at this stage. Like that's all. It's all going in the right direction yeah. as far as I can see. Yeah, we have a big summer of festivals ahead of us. Um, so. and then the pizza pizza record things. The way you spoke about that there, that looks like that that's might be your your have you. It, have you found a home there? Have you found something that you just you can't wait to get your teeth into all the time? Yeah, constantly. I'm get, I get sent music all like every day from people. Yeah, and uh, I, and I, I listen to all of it. I mean, and uh, sometimes, sometimes usually there's it'd be a case of I know I already know if I want to sign someone, I go I'm, I and and I'll get in touch with them or and we'll do it that way. That's how that's how we end up signing Clara Tracy. Uh, Katie actually uh, sent me that record. She, she sent Clara sent it to her and. Got it to me, and I was like, "Yep, we can't not uh, put this out." And that record's coming out in, on vinyl in June. Um, you know, we've got we've got Trick Mist coming out in vinyl later this month. Uh, new Elephant Records on is cooking. Uh, it'll be out later this year. You might even see a Larry record out this year. You never really? know. You never yeah. know. Uh, and then Elaine Marlone's uh, record as well. Um, you know, there's 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 always stuff, and you know, there, and there will be more stuff. There's no doubt. But there's there's a, there's an incredible wealth of bands. And, and and songwriters in this country, and there always has been. So as long as I'm sucking air, I'm gonna keep. Uh, I'm gonna keep. Yeah, well, it. it sounds like you're gonna be a busy man over the next couple <laughs> of years. So listen, Joey, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for coming in. I really enjoyed this chat. Thanks so much. And uh, look forward to seeing what you get up to in the next couple of years. But the talking <laughs> there, you're gonna be busy, <laughs> Joey. Thanks a million. Nice one. You've been listening to Sound of a Town with Trush McCann. This week's guest was Joey Edwards, a manager and sound engineer with Trust Mustard and head man at Pizza Pizza Records. Uh, the music in this week's show were Take the Money and Run with their track Secret Place, Just Mustard with Frank, Third Smoke with Miss Summer Breeze, Elephant with Youth and Larry with Cocker Spaniel. The music used for the intro and the outro on this show are Jinx Lennon's Proud to Be a Nobody from County Loud. Wherever you're listening, if you could hit subscribe on the button and uh, you'll get notifications every time a new episode is up. We hope to have one up every week, but uh, we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, thanks all for listening. 